1: This is CNN Breaking News.
0: This is Piers Morgan Live. Breaking news tonight a Malaysia. Airlines plane carrying 239 people bound for Beijing is missing. Dramatic new developments in the mystery of Malaysia Flight 370 in the
1: past four hours, and we continue our uh, coverage of this developing story. Flight Thank you. Over
0: for Indonesia, flew around Indonesia before coming onto that southerly route. It gives the appearance that whoever was piloting this aircraft was trying to
1: avoid detection, trying to avoid radar detection of Indonesian radars. Official
0: now telling CNN the plane was way, way off course when it went
1: missing. That, according to this official who declined to be named because he's not authorized to talk to the international news media. March 8, 2014. Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 simply disappears from radar as it's supposed to be making its way from KL to Beijing. It's now believed it actually headed for several hours in the opposite direction into the vast southern ocean off the west coast of Australia. But the answer to the question why remains unknown as does the location of the wreckage. This is the Nitty Gritty Committee: stories about the guts and the glory of life. And in this episode, we hear the story of MH three seventy from the perspective of Danica Weeks, whose husband Paul was one of the two hundred and twenty seven passengers on board.
0: Oh, look! He was going away on his first flight um, to Mongolia to work on the Rio Tinto site, and it was his first. It was his first swing. Um, and he, we'd prepared, obviously we'd known for six months in advance that he was going and, and mum was there. She, my parents were over there bush tracking at the time, so they were around. And so mum and I, Paul left on the Friday, I dropped him off, um, just before I took Lincoln to soccer and, you know, we cried and kissed each other because it was a change for the family, a good change. You know, he'd worked very hard, you know, he's very intelligent and, and had, Got this huge promotion. He was so excited. Well, were was so excited. But, you know, it was sad for us. I had young Jack. He was only 11 months. And Lincoln, who was two and a half. And we said goodbye and, you know, cried and said, I love you. And kissed. And, you know, saw him walk out the door, waved. And Lincoln screamed, I love you, Daddy. And, and that was it. And I cried all the way back to soccer. Um, I had to wear my sunglasses there, and I wrote to him saying, "Oh, I cried all the way home." And he sent me a um email back from Kuala Lumpur because he didn't have a phone at that point because he was going to a new job, so he had handed his phone back into his old work. Um, and yeah, it's just blissfully going about life. Mum and I went out to the mall the next day on the Saturday when he was uh, supposed to be flying to Beijing from Kuala Lumpur. And blissfully, anywhere anything was going on because I didn't have the news on because generally had ABC for kids going. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, we came home and Paul had set up a TV for me and it wasn't working um, so I could, you know, watch it while I was preparing dinner and blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't working. And I said, oh, well, look, Mum, Paul's going to Skype me. So I, I went into the office and I turned on Skype and I said, he's going to Skype me from from Beijing, so you know, I'll ask him what's going on. And um, so I was just mucking around, and then I got a telephone call from a New Zealand journalist, and she said to me, can I speak to Paul Weeks, please? And I said, uh, no, sorry, he's on a flight. And I said, who? you know, obvious question, who is this? <laughs> you know, why are you, I said, he's not here, he's on a flight to Beijing. And um, she said, oh, I'm a New Zealand reporter. And I said, why are you asking for Paul? And she said, you don't know. And I said, I don't know what. And she said, the plane's missing. Um,
1: oh my I instantly God. obviously
0: thought it's crashed. I The last I remember, I was on the backyard. I remember just the grass screaming. Um, I dropped the phone, obviously. Mum picked up the phone and, and, you know, said, what's going on? Um, I was screaming uncontrollably. And then my mother-in-law and brother-in-law and niece, they were all going to New Zealand that day, so they were all down the road, and they could hear me screaming. And they came down, and they said, "It's his plane, isn't it?" And I said, "Yes, yes." What's happened? And they said, "It's missing." And I went missing. And I, I kind of, I just stood back up and sort of took a big breath and went missing. Like there's hope that might you know it's just landed somewhere. It's yeah, you know, a missing plane. It'll it'll show up. Um, And that started the rollercoaster of three and a half years. And that's basically where it sat. Um, Obviously, I watched all the news. um, Eventually got uh, contacted by the Malaysians about four days after. And, yeah, it's surreal. It's surreal. From that day on, I still can't understand how a Boeing 777 can just go missing. It's, um, it's something you logically can't, you know, fathom in your brain. You you try to think, I mean, I'm an accountant by trade and I deal in facts and everything around us has been assumptions. You know, we're assuming this, we're assuming that. And I'm like, just give me the facts, just give me the facts. I can't compute what you're telling me, just I need facts. And, you know, that started the whole journey, of the whole nightmare of you know, one search. You know, obviously they started searching in the um, South China Sea for six days, wasted valuable time, never found it there. Knowing even though they knew it had turned, um, then they went to the aerial search with Captain Craig Heat, and I met with him. and For two hours, he told me you know, what they were doing. He showed me diagrams and, look, in the middle of it, I just stood up and burst into tears and I said, I just wanted to make sure you're looking for Paulie because he's worth looking for. That's all I had gone for. Um, And he was confident. He was confident they were going to find it. And then two weeks later, it was a ghost town at Pierce Air Base. There was nothing there. Um, I went up and stood there and went, you know, all this this effort – And no return and then the next was the underwater search uh with sir angus houston now um again i would meet with him weekly and he was very confident uh even when they found the pings he said to me you know go home now this is it prepare your memorial i went home i spent two weeks underground just you know getting memorial together and Speaking with places and, um, you know, obviously it was extremely emotional and physically draining. And then a reporter turned up at my door and I said, they've found it. Mm. And she said, no, no, it's, um, they've given up. It's not, uh, they haven't found it, The the pings um, aren't from the plane.
1: About a month after the plane disappeared, a search vessel picked up what became known as pings with its sonar equipment. It was widely assumed the pings were being emitted by the black box of the missing plane. So much so that former Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott announced that the plane was about to be located. But within days, the pings fell silent and a submarine sent to locate the source failed to find anything of significance.
0: And I'm like, you're joking. So, of course, I tried to contact um, Angus Houston and I couldn't get in contact with him. I never really... No, I never really found out ultimately what that was. But that was, again, you know, it was like starting the whole thing again. <laughs> um, and then there was Martin Doolin, the underwater search, which we've just finished, the 120000 of search. Again, you know, confident. it has got a bottle of champagne ready to open when they find the plane. And I said to him, you know, what makes you more confident than... Captain Craig Heap and Sir Angus Houston, and he says, well, we've just, you know, I apologise, but we've had more time to, to crunch the numbers and we're definitely in the right place now. And so, again, hope was there, um, and that ended. And I found that very, that was probably the hardest since day one to deal with. Um, when they're still searching, there's hope of finding them. And when that ended, I know people have said to me, well, what if, you know, what if they don't find it? And I'm like, don't be silly. You know, like, I can't, I can't think of that right now. That's, I go day by day. Um, the whole thing started minute by minute and then hour by hour. And I go day by day now. And I said, I can't think that far ahead. And then they stopped the search and I had to come to terms with that. Again, it was starting from day dot. Um, they, they say, I mean, I went to counsellors and you know, it's whole, the whole ambiguous loss, not knowing what happened. And I, I went to counsellors to try and, you know, how can I deal with this? And they were pre- unprecedented. We don't know. We don't, you know, we're going through, what, some sort of grieving process. I don't know what it is, whether we've even started um, every day's different. There's frustration, there's anger, there's sadness, there's all of those emotions and you go through them and it's the worst not knowing. I mean, he didn't he didn't walk out of the door. I mean, you know, some people go missing. I I understand that. But generally you have some sort of logic behind what's happened to them and why they've gone missing. But this is a commercial airplane. And I see him walking out that gate, and it's what 10 million people do every day, and its I just can't get it right in my head as to why it's missing. Um, and, you know, there's no explanation for it. Nothing. Uh, now, obviously, we're, we're hoping they will search again. I thought they would have just started searching after the last search, but obviously that got... Held off and dealing with the Malaysians has been um, frustrating. Uh, If it wasn't for the Australian, like the Australian search teams, the ATSB, I don't know how we would have been. We would have had nothing. Um, I get the feeling from them if this would just disappear, that would be wonderful for the Malaysians. And that's how we've sort of been treated. We've been text messaged to say our loved ones are presumed dead. Uh, we've been, you know, we never find anything out. We find it in the media, out in the media before we find it out from them. And it's just been, it's added to the, the torment, really, of the whole situation. Um, and we still don't know. <laughs> we still just have no idea how a Boeing 777 can just disappear off the face of the earth. I've, I made Paulie a promise right back when this all happened first and I I promised that I'd bring him home. Um, he wasn't just my husband. You know, he was my best friend. He was my confidant, my guidance counselor. Like we did everything. We did everything together. We did everything as a family and all our plans, future plans that just ended mm. that day. And, so I just go day by day, but you know, my mantra is I will bring him home. I promised him that. He deserves that. Two hundred and thirty eight other people deserve that and their friends and family. And I will just that's what keeps me going. Um so it's still it's still day by day for me. I can't see any further than that because that's gone from where it was three and a half years ago. And with no closure, there is no peace, not having that right of process, not sort of starting to grieve in the practical terms of it because we just don't know where he is. I mean, even if we knew where he was, that would be a start. Mm. Um, But right now we don't even know where he is, let alone what happened. Um, And that's, I mean, that too worries me as well. I mean, everybody flies, you know, wives send their husband away, husbands, wives, children um, and we don't know what happened. So, and I've asked every professional that um, I've spoken to and said, can this happen again? And they're like, yes it can, because we don't know what happened in the first place. That's scary. That's a scary thought. Um, So, it's not just for us to no, know it's for the flying public as a whole too and like I get on I mean it's a necessity of life you can't avoid planes so I get on a plane I take the boys on the plane I don't even fly with the boys now um, in case something happens uh, I've seen them lose their dad and I couldn't bear for them to lose their mum so you know if it's going to something's going to happen we're going to go together um, and that's just what how I've had to deal with with that situation, and but again, it still could just happen again around the corner. Um, that's scary. It's
1: terrifying. It's really scary. It's terrifying. Do yeah. you have you developed a theory about what happened to it?
0: Yes, I look. I always had a the theory that um, something went wrong with the plane, and that the pilot tried to turn us around uh, back to Kuala Lumpur and everyone became incapacitated, and it flew on for, for seven hours. Um, if it is, I mean, right now I don't even know if it's out there because uh, we've been searching and haven't found it. Mm. But uh, that's kind of the best case scenario I can deal with too. Yeah. Um, obviously it runs through your brain what his last moments were, and you can't, you can't bear – to think of anyone that you love so dearly in that situation.
1: You just want to grab them back. There are, of course, many theories about what happened to the plane Paul Weeks was in when it disappeared, and understandably, his wife Danika has focused her imagination on the one that we'd all prefer it to be, that everyone on the plane was unconscious when it crash-landed and no-one suffered. Former Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott who was very vocal on the search and has a peculiar perspective on the world at the best of times, announced to journalists, I have always said the most plausible scenario was murder-suicide and that this guy wanted to create the world's greatest mystery. The guy he's referring to is Captain Zahari Ahmed Shah, the man who was piloting the plane when it disappeared.
0: This is so awful. How can you... Because you're basically... Saying to the pilot's family, look, he did this with no proof at all. He did this. You know, they're getting crucified. Mm -hmm. Not only have they lost their father, husband, um, they're being crucified that it could be him that caused it. And I think that's truly unfair and unjust when we don't know. It could be him. It could be anyone. Anyone could be right. There's so many theories. Someone's got to be right. Um the main main thing is we have to find out who is. I used to laugh. I used to watch um, air crash investigations. Hmm. And Paulie used to come and go, why do you watch that? You're just going to freak out about flying. <laughs> and I'm like, no, because every time something happens, I said, they they fix the problem. They know what it is. And it makes flying safer. I said, if anything, it makes me feel much safer. And um, and obviously now I don't watch it at all. But no. you know that we're still in this thing that we don't know what's happened and nothing's been done about it. And so yeah, it's
1: it's frightening. It is frightening, and it does it does feel as though um everyone's sort of happy to just put it in the too hard, too weird basket. Now, does it feel that way to you?
0: Yeah, look, it does, and I totally, I understand that. I mean, I, you know, I was of that, you know, thought, you would, you know, you read something horrible and you go, oh, that's horrible, and then, you know, life takes over mm. and you go on with your life. But when you're, you know, you're part of it, I never imagined, you know, the, the torment of being there and, and particularly not having answers. That's a big one. It's that ambiguous loss again. That you've just no idea how, why, where they are, um, or if they're even dead or alive. I mean, I'm not deluded that after three and a half years, he probably isn't coming back. But you still have that little bit of, you know, point zero nine 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 percent that you know it's a possibility. Anything's a possibility. Um, I said to someone the other day at the moment um, you know I could agree with the 10% of Americans that think it's been taken by aliens because yeah. who knows getting <laughs> it's at that point after three and a half years that you just can't fathom it's so so surreal um, I think Paulie. I mean Paulie wasn't deluded that planes crashed you know he knew that he was a mechanical engineer He's a smart guy and and so but I don't think he would have either, ever thought that you couldn't find where it is. You know, in today's technology, uh, he, you know, like everyone else, just how can you lose a plane? And, I mean, I even accosted a um, Air New Zealand pilot um, of a Boeing 767. And I said to him, I'm, you know, obviously you fly 767s. Um, do you think you can lose a Boeing 777? And he said to me, look, oh, the 767 is so sophisticated. And he said, you can't lose a 767. He goes, so you definitely can't lose a 777. He said, someone's not telling you the truth. Oh,
1: God. And I just thought,
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Yeah, that's and I've been told that so often. Um, really, and so it just is bemusing to me uh, that that isn't being found, and I don't know why. I can't again. That's another level or another layer of why. You know, do they not want this found? Um, I mean, your brain just really goes to all those all those places. You know, I'd like to believe that's not the truth. Um, But if, you know, if the Malaysians refuse to search for this, then it's all I can think. Uh, It's their plane, it's a commercial plane, and, and for all aviation safety, it needs to be found.
1: Coming up on the Nitty Gritty Committee, Danika gets real about the ways in which she's coped with losing her husband in such a bizarre, mysterious and public way. Some real talk about coping mechanisms coming up and yet another occasion in which Danika found out some vital information about the search from a journalist. But first, she talks about the uncertainty around the resumption of the search for Flight MH370.
0: Unfortunately, yesterday or the day before it came out in the newspaper that they were going to search, but um, we hadn't heard officially and so I I wasn't holding out hope because this is, you know the Malaysians we're dealing with. And so until I heard it from the horse's mouth, I wasn't very, I wasn't convinced, but I'm, I was ecstatic. You know, you can't help but feel the emotions come with it. And I was, yes, you know, they haven't said anything in the last nine months. Suddenly they started the family support center again. And and so I was like, wow, they're going to do this. And then today, no, they're not going to. They haven't decided mm-hmm. yet. They have three, three contracts and they haven't decided and again, you just smacked the f- your feet are taken from out from underneath you and it's back to to nightmare again. Um yeah, it's it's just been a real roller coaster of emotions and and things that have happened and but at the end of the day it's still the plane's still missing. Um and Paulie's not home and so we just keep fighting day by day, day by day.
1: Do you, do you, or have you used anything to help you cope? I mean, have you found yourself drinking or, or anything like that to try and numb? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, look, absolutely. I, I, before this, um, you know, I used to drink when I was traveling and, but, um, you know, I had two young kids and, and so, you know, you're pregnant and you don't drink and you're breastfeeding and you're doing all that. And, you know, so I, I didn't really drink for the whole, you know, when the kids were young. But when this happened, oh, yeah, drinking's definitely been my crutch, um, unfortunately. I've tried rehab. Um, i I put myself into a, a private rehab, but... Um, you know, because it's so ongoing, I mean it's like the counsellors, you know, they just can't tell you where you're at because they don't know. There hasn't been that closure and so yeah, I've I every time, you know, something else pops up in the news or hear something, um, or speak to the family support centre, you really I just go back to it. So yes, unfortunately it has been a, a crutch that I've leaned on.
1: I'm sorry, I I did not know that. I only asked because I thought that's what I would do. Um I just thought, must, yeah. yeah, you must have to rely on something to help you sleep at night sometimes and all of those other things.
0: Well, that's what your brain, you know, races. And of course, it's going all day. By the end of the day, I'm so tired. And, you know, it's, my brain's still active and on, you know, yeah. on task. And so, yeah, I am... Um, yeah, I do use it as a crutch, unfortunately. Not not that I, you know, <laughs> I don't want to do it forever, but, you know, just, as I say, it's just an ongoing thing and it just rears its head and it's, you know, I just brought them home and, you know, I get, as I say, frustrated and angry and sad and... You know, I take to social media quite a bit. Um, I think my friend, my best friend always says, she goes, I can tell you were up late drinking last time. Oh, yes. <laughs> it was it was funny because Paulie and I, we both said, you know, oh, this Facebook page, you know, thing. When, when he, you know, goes to – because we joined it. We obviously came from New Zealand and went to Perth. And, um, I mean, I'm an Australian citizen. I've lived in Australia most of my life. But um, we – we went, oh, we'll get off this. We're on there because the kids were growing up and we're showing friends in New Zealand. And we're like, oh, we're a bit over it now. Mm. And so we were both going to go off Facebook when he got back from his month um, in Mongolia. And then it's just been an actual godsend for me, really, you know, to keep this alive. Because as you say, people do get on, go on with their lives and it's still out there. And so it's really helped to keep it going and, you know, hopefully keep people interested that, you know, there's still a commercial airplane out there
1: missing. How is everyone else coping in your WhatsApp group?
0: Oh, yes, look, you know, there's a few you know, like me that are speaking to anyone they can speak to. Um, yeah, they're all dealing with it the same way. Um yep, a lot of, you know, lot of drinking and, yeah. and things like that. You know, people just like me, day by day, but keeping, you know, an eye on anything. And so we keep each other informed all the time when anything pops up and we, we talk about, you know, what the, the family support centre and what help, if nothing, that they're giving us. Unfortunately, you know, we have a family support centre and it sounds all good, mm. um, but it is purely just a team of volunteers who have been tasked with ringing us every week, um, giving us a search update from Australia, which, you know, obviously I can get from from the website here at the ATSB before they send it to me. Mm. And like the first time they started the family support centre, a poor man rang me and it was the first contact I'd had with Malaysian Airlines. And so, of course, you know, I started screaming and shouting, and as you do, mm-hmm. and he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just a volunteer, and I went, oh, oh my gosh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. You know, so, yes, you're a spokesman for Malaysian Airlines, but you're just a volunteer, and I tore shreds off this poor man, and I, and that's what it's been. That's really all it is, and they say, you know, you send your questions and you send your questions, and I had one set of questions that got answered four months later, Um, and by then they said, oh, that's been answered in the media, that's been answered in the media. So every time they're like, oh, just put your questions in an email. I'm like, what's the point? Um, They don't get answered. I I think it's just a – I mean, it's a courtesy thing, obviously. And as soon as the search stopped, so did the Family Support Centre. And that was bizarre because we weren't informed that it was going to end. We just stopped getting the phone calls and I went, well, you know, that was in the emails. I went, oh, we know why, because the search has stopped. And they restarted it recently and I said to the the man um, that I spoke to that night, I said, you know, why have we restarted the Family Support Centre? I'm just, you know, inquisitive. Is there, are they going to start a new search? And he said, oh, no, we just didn't have any information to give you once the search stopped, so we just stopped the family support. And I thought, it's not really support, is it? Um, Because this is their claim that they're counselling the families. Um, We don't get anything from them before it goes out to the media. Uh, I requested once that we got the interim report, the families, before the media did. Unfortunately, I got sent it... Via a reporter in New Zealand Before they sent it to us mm. um, So you know, We're always the last Not the last to know But we're definitely you know, not priority on the list And that in itself has been a frustration We don't know what's going on um, We're just left in the dark Until someone decides To put something in the media Or So yeah It's hard It's really hard my um, brother-in-law told me that he, I spoke to him on the phone. at day it happened, my sister rung up, and, of course, she couldn't speak. She was beside herself, and her husband came on the phone, and he said, "And I'm obviously, I'm diabolical, and he just goes, Dan, just breathe, just breathe, minute by minute. And I just went, oh. so I've just had to break it down into little bits, and that's how I get through
1: the days, as little that's really good. It's, it's great. It's good that I think a lot of times people care about you, but just don't know what to say or how to help you. or And sometimes it scares people off a bit, you know?
0: Yeah, and no, I, I think just say anything. You know, yeah. I think I've learned in these sort of situations, just say something. You know, you're better to say something than nothing. Hmm. Um, and unfortunately in this sort of situation, I, I've, to my friends in Perth one day, um, my close friends. I said, gosh, do I sound like a a broken record? Because, (laughs) you know, MH370 is sort of because we, you know, we don't know anything. We sort of, every time we talk, we're talking about the same thing. And Mm. I said, you know, just tell me if I sound like a broken record. they're like, no, no. Um, But it is interesting speaking with people and getting people's views. I met a lovely Kiwi lady the other day and, we're just talking about mh three seventy, and you know, getting their view on it. it I really, it, it's good to know that people are still thinking about it, and to hear their thought. You know, it kind of doesn't make me feel like I am going crazy. Mm. <laughs> you know, you speak to someone, they go, "Oh, I know. I just can't believe they can. Lo- they can't lose the Boeing talks seven." i go, "Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not crazy. Yeah,
1: you know no, Everyone
0: else is on the same page." Yeah. <laughs> definitely I feel like I'm just the only one and but no, everyone's on the same page and that's that's good. That's great.
1: Mm. Um do have you managed to make any plans for the future yet? Can you think about the future?
0: No. It's funny you you just you know, it's blank When I'm used to in a partnership and, you know, we used to call ourselves Team Weeks. Um, You know, even before the boys came, Paulie and I were like 10 weeks. Uh, We always had these plans and it was always five, 10 years. I mean, and when the boys came along, we even planned that, you know, when they were older, we were going to live down the road from them and the grandkids, you know, even if they didn't want us there. You know, so, and I mean, we were even supposed to be buried together in Oxford um, in New Zealand. So you had all these plans and they just went and you have no understanding Why? they went um, and haven't really had a chance to to close that chapter um, or whatever that chapter is. I mean, I don't know. And so as I say, I can't see anything ahead of me at this point. It's just sort of day by day. And I just keep the boys here you and know, the boys are happy and, you know, just try and keep happiness in their lives. Um, and that's all I can do. Until I have the answers, and then hopefully the proper process of grieving and you know or whatever that turns out to be, I, I don't know. Maybe I do have to try to find some reconciliation with the fact that I won't have the answers. But I'm not ready to accept that yet, and probably won't be for a very long time. Because it isn't just for me. I mean, this is for the boys as well. And, you know, Lincoln's like his dad, very smart. And, you know, it's my burden to carry, um, not theirs. I don't want them searching, you know, in their lifetime to try and find him. It's not their burden. And I just can't help but feel that, you know, if we don't find it before Lincoln gets into his 20s or something, that he doesn't undertake that, and it shouldn't be his... You know, if I say his burden, it's mine. And, um, you know, I want to find it, find Paulie for them as well. They deserve the right and so does Paul.
1: How do you talk to children about something so terrifying?
0: Well, the first day it happened, I had no answers. I just rung Lincoln's best friend's mother and said, can you just come round and get Lincoln? I don't know what to say. Um, She came and got him. And unfortunately, because I had very little, you know, speaking, in the end, I rang Lifeline and went through to, got a lovely counsellor from um, the Department of uh, Child Protection, and he came round, and I said to him, how do I deal with speaking to Lincoln about it? Because, you know, I was an emotional mess, and of course, Lincoln saw me. Jack was too young. He was only 11 months. He saw me, and he just fell apart, and I couldn't, I couldn't put into words what you know, I wanted to say because I, I couldn't speak. I was just bawling. Mm. Um, and it took four days for me to actually get back to some normal sort of speech, being able to speak without completely just falling in a heap. Um, and I went and so I, I spoke to this counselor I said, how do I bring him back? How do I tell him? And he said, you've just got to tell him the truth. I'm like, okay. So he came back, and I said to Link, I said, um, Daddy's missing. I didn't say on a plane because the problem was I needed him to go, you know, eventually I thought I don't want to freak him out about planes. So I said, Daddy's missing. I said, but people are out there, and they're looking for him. And he grabbed me by the arm. He said, oh, mummy, I'll I'll go and find Daddy. And I went, Mm. no, darling. I said, it's not these there's good people out there, they've got all the equipment they need. Um they're looking for dad. So that's how we went along that he was missing. Um he did put he he came to a point where he believed Paul was in a car accident because we had been in a car accident uh, about two months before in a major car accident and the car the Holden, was written off. Mm-hmm. And of course Paul loved that car and and Lincoln and him would go out every Sunday and wash it. Of course, Lincoln would sit in the car. And and so then Paul had to explain to him the car was gone. So, of course, he explained to him that this man crashed into us and so the car's gone to car heaven. (laughs) Um, So Lincoln just put two and two together. That's what had happened to Dad. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably my own – probably I I should have explained it more, but, you know, at that stage I was grappling – you know, when – My counsellor said, tell him the truth. I mean, I didn't know the truth. I knew the plane was missing. And so I was thinking, like, when they find it, when they find it, Mm. I'll tell him, you know, and he'll go through. You know, kids have lost parents. He'll go through the process like any normal child that's lost a parent. Um, But it got further and further and further. And I, I just sort of got lost in the whole thing. And I thought, what do I explain now? Um, eventually he when we went to quiet like he eventually he put two and two together that was a claim. Um and I just I would never break down in front of him because if I did he would be emotional for the next three days. He just fed off my emotions. So I would cry in the shower in the morning. That was my emotional relief, not in front of the children. In front of them I was mum. Um and he's he knows about it now obviously he's got older he's now seven but I still can't tell them you know they ask what happened to Mm -hmm. dad did he suffer what you know where is he and I I can't answer I just have to say I don't know um he does you know they do have a thought that he is in heaven I think a child might have told him at school I've never told him myself um that he has gone to heaven um but I don't know. So I know it sounds, I probably like clocking out on my parenting. People yeah. might think, oh, crazy woman. But what do you tell them in this situation?
1: I don't think if anyone, I don't, know, I don't think as judgmental as other mums are, I don't think anyone's judging you, Danica, at all. I don't know how any <laughs> of us would, would begin to think about how to process it ourselves. And that's the thing when you've got kids, isn't it? It's like, you haven't even got time to process it yourself before you turn around and they're just blinking at you, um, waiting for you to process it for them.
0: Yes, and there's great ones. I mean, I know, Lincoln, you know, you, you tell him a lie and he'll go, you lied to me. Yeah. You know, I don't want my kids to, I don't want to grow up on my kids to hate me because I lied to them. I gave them some story that they believed was true mm. and then it turns out to be something completely different. So I just tell, I'm just going to, you know, they know what's going on, but I can't tell them what happened because I, I just say to them, I don't know myself. But I said, you will be the first to know as soon as I know. Um, and that's basically the only comfort I can give them.
1: A couple of days ago, the Malaysian government announced it's entered into a no-find, no-fee agreement with a company called Ocean Infinity to resume the search for MH370. No start date has been set yet. Thank you to Sherry Laurie and Michael Daverin for their help in pulling this podcast together. And thank you, of course, to Danika Weeks, for whom the fight continues. Thank you to everyone who's downloaded this episode and also everyone who's gone to iTunes and given us a nice review and five stars. Thank you so much. And may I suggest another podcast that's full of amazing stories from amazing people, Australian True Crime. I present that one as well with crime writer Emily Webb.